Welcome to Alabama Short Stories, when you're a little behind on your Alabama history. I'm your host, Sean Wright. During the summer of 1984, I worked as a counselor at Camp Aska in Jackson's Gap, Alabama. The camp is in the uppermost part of Lake Martin, where the Tallapoosa River starts to widen out and become a lake. The camp is north of the Highway 280 bridge close to Alexander City. It's an undeveloped and quiet part of the lake. Unlike the lake south of the bridge, which is all-day boats, jet skis, and Kenny Chesney songs played loud enough so everyone on the lake can hear it. You could easily call that northern part of the lake paradise. We love our waterways in Alabama, and we probably take them for granted. Here are some facts you might not know about. Alabama has the most extensive inland waterway system in the United States. There are 1,500 miles of navigable rivers and lakes. A large number of our rivers converge into the Mobile-Tensaw Delta. It's one of the largest estuaries in the United States and is known for its rich biodiversity, including numerous fish species, shellfish, and birds. The Tennessee River in the northern part of the state is a major waterway. It connects with the Ohio River before emptying into the Mississippi River on the way to the Gulf of Mexico. And the Chattahoochee River flows between the boundaries of Alabama and Georgia on the southeastern half of the state. The rivers have been here for eons and have been used by Native Americans for as long as they've been here. But the lakes? The lakes are new. The oldest, only about 110 years old. The Coosa River enters from Georgia and northeast Alabama and flows south, combining with the Tallapoosa and becoming the Alabama River. Steamboats operated on the northern section of the river. Still, they could not make it to the Alabama River in Mobile because of the Devil's Staircase, the last waterfall in the Coosa. The town that sprung up around it is called Wetumpka, which means rumbling waters or falling stream. Alabama Power was established in 1906 and within a year had received permission from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to build a dam on the Coosa River. They intended to harness the river to generate power. Now, there's too much Alabama Power history to discuss in this short story, but let's jump ahead and say that the Lock 12 Dam, which we now know as Lay Dam on the Coosa River, was completed in December 1913. Alabama Power would build more dams on the Coosa, which created lakes Jordan, Lay, Logan Martin, Mitchell, Neely Henry, and Weiss. The Tallapoosa would have dams that created lakes Martin, Weedowie, Yates, and Thurlow. The Tennessee River Authority and U.S. Army Corps of Engineers would also get in the act and create dams on the other rivers around the state, Lake Gunnersville and Lake Wheeler being two of the biggest lakes located on the Tennessee River. Alabama Power alone has 14 dams along the Coosa, Tallapoosa, and Black Warrior Rivers, with over 3,500 miles of shoreline and nearly 120,000 acres of land used for recreation. Imagine the thousands of boats on those lakes blasting Alan Jackson's song Chattahoochee for the past three decades, oblivious that the river it celebrates flows through Georgia, only skirting Alabama. The last dam that Alabama Power built, and probably the last major dam that will be made in Alabama, was in North Alabama. Lewis Smith Dam was created on the Sipsy Fork of the Black Warrior River. During the 19th and early 20th century, Coal was shipped south on the river from the Warrior Coal Fields. Dams were created along the river to regulate water levels to keep the shipment moving, and business leaders wanted a dam farther upriver to help. 
Alabama Power petitioned the government to build a dam and began construction in 1957. And the dam was dedicated in March 1961. A power generating plant is used during peak hours, but today the lake is used primarily for recreation. This dam is unique because it is one of the largest earthen dams in the eastern United States. All the other dams were created with concrete. Lewis Smith Dam is 2,200 feet in length and 300 feet tall. The lake it made would have a unique look compared to other Alabama lakes. Instead of one large lake area, Smith Lake features three fingers and at its deepest point is 264 feet deep. Well before Alabama Power petitioned the government to create what would become Smith Lake, they had been monitoring the area. In the 1940s, locals were hired to monitor and report rainfall data. Crews started surveying the area in 1951. If I had to guess, I bet Alabama Power has multiple locations around the state that have been surveyed and considered for a dam and lake. But this location was considered ideal because of its remote location and the lake's depth. It would be maximum water within minimum space. Now you can't build a dam and create a huge lake without affecting someone. It's just not possible. And history is littered with communities that cease to exist because they are now at the bottom of a man-made lake. And all of them were flooded for the better good. Usually this seems only to affect poor communities and minority communities located in rural areas. Locations that make good for reservoirs. Alabama has its share of flooded communities. Anyone who's been to Lake Martin probably knows about Kalaja. There's a restaurant and bridge called Kalaja, and Hank Williams has a popular song called Kalaja. It seems he had vacation at Lake Martin growing up, which inspired the song. But you may not know that Kalaja, also known as Benson, was an African-American community in that area. The town ceased to exist mainly because of the creation of Martin Dam. Most of the community is now submerged by the lake's waters and is underneath Kalaja Bridge. Another community underneath the waters at Lake Martin is Susanna. At one time, a bustling but small town in what is now the Lake Martin Basin supported a school, grist mill, flour mill, sawmill, blacksmith shop, gold mine, post office, and church. Hundreds of graves were relocated when plans were made to create the lake. Smith Lake has its own town at the bottom of the lake, Falls City. In 1853, a post office was established in the area called Clear Creek Falls. In 1888, the postmaster filed papers to change the name to Elk. Soon after, the name was changed to Falls City and the name seemed to stick. The post office stayed there for 100 years until it was closed on November 30, 1953. Falls City was tough to access. It was rural and isolated, and it would be years before the road into town was paved and a bridge built. Railroad companies were courted in hopes of extending a line into the community with no success. Electricity didn't make it into the community until the 1940s. That was too little too late, as the post office would close soon after, and those still left would face rising waters in the next few years. Alabama Power would move 78 graves from four cemeteries before floodwaters reached the former town. The town was probably renamed to exploit the nearby Clear Creek Falls. Located a short distance from the town, Clear Creek Falls was two waterfalls located a quarter mile from each other. The upper falls would drop 60 feet, while the lower falls would drop 30 feet. The falls had been a local tourist attraction for generations. 
Families would visit and marvel at the falls. Picnics would be held there, weddings would be held, and out-of-state visitors would travel to view the falls. They reached peak popularity when the war was near. People made pilgrimages to the falls as lake waters rose. The Daily Mountain Eagle newspaper in Jasper and the Birmingham News wrote stories documenting their last days. Another landmark that was soon to see its final days was Duncan Bridge. You may know Duncan Bridge as the large baby blue steel truss bridge that connects the towns of Curry and Arley. The original Duncan Bridge was located just south of the new bridge. Built in 1900, it was named for Jim Duncan, who donated the land. It was a marvel at the time, crossing 90 feet above the Sipsi River. We've seen the photos of dams when they are being built. Impressive amounts of concrete are being poured as the dam walls grow higher and higher. What we don't consider is the work happening upstream in the basin of the future lake. Crews were mobilized in the lake bed to remove trees and vegetation and demolish buildings and bridges. All these items can hinder boat traffic and can be a hindrance, so they had to go. Anything that may become floating debris also needed to be removed. Vegetation and plants are stripped away, making for a clean lake bottom. Stripping vegetation and trees around the shoreline was also important because this lake and all the lakes built in Alabama would be used for recreation. Smith Dam took four years to complete, and it was expected to take another five years for the lake to fill. Contractors had plenty of time to remove trees, bridges, and demolish buildings, especially the farther up the river you were from the dam. And then the rains came. That December was a wet month in Alabama. It was not an issue at Smith Dam since the reservoir was nowhere near complete and wouldn't be that way for years. Approximately 4 to 8 inches of rain fell between the 9th and 12th of December, and that was just the beginning. Over the next three months, North Alabama would receive 30 to 36 inches of rain, 50% more than usual. And in January, the snow came, adding more water when it thawed. Smith Lake started to fill up and fill up fast. The contractor hired to dismantle the old Duncan Bridge thought he had plenty of time before the waters reached the bridge. He didn't make it in time. The bridge is probably still there today, waiting for a car that will never come. The residents of Falls City were long gone when the waters started to rise, but nearby Clear Creek Falls had limited time before they would drown in their own water. It's a strange way to end. You would naturally think Falls would end when the water was cut off from upstream when the creek dried up. In this case, the water came from below, turning them from falls to lake when the water reached the top. As the waters rose, people would arrive to get one last look. Others probably watched in disbelief at something that they thought would never happen, even as the dam downstream grew. After the lake took the lower falls, the upper falls took just three more days to disappear. I'm sure many people thought they had plenty of time to visit, waited too long, and never got to see the falls that one last time. When the lake filled, the top of the falls would be 100 feet below the water. Due to the rain, it only took 11 months to fill Smith Lake. Trees were not cleared that should have been. Bridges and buildings were not removed. And I'm sure the odd piece of equipment never made it out before they were covered by water. That's fine, because the trees in the lower parts of the lake are not tall enough to hinder boats on the surface above. They only become an issue during a tragedy. When someone disappears below the water's surface and drowns, it may take a while to find their body if rescue workers can never find it. The trees at the bottom can hide many things, 
and with a lake so deep, divers may not be able to go down far enough to recover a body. The limit for recreational divers is 130 feet, and most don't go anywhere near that depth. Specialists can go farther, but the trees left on the bottom make it extremely dangerous for those divers. But I don't want to end this episode on a negative note, so here are some fun facts about the lake. It's 35 miles long and has 500 miles of shoreline. For decades, the shoreline was relatively undeveloped, but that's changed significantly. It's close to Birmingham and Huntsville, making it an ideal lake to visit. Families have been purchasing second homes and retirees are moving to the lake. During the warm months, boaters take to the lake towing skiers, pulling tubes, and enjoying the lake. Most don't ever realize that below them, hundreds of feet below them, lie homes, fences, roads, and the odd piece of equipment that was never moved before Smith Lake took it as one of its own. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Alabama Short Stories Podcast. You can continue to support the show by rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you haven't subscribed, do it so you don't miss an episode. You can also support the show by purchasing the companion book, Alabama Short Stories Volume 1, featuring the first three seasons of the podcast. You can purchase it at Amazon.com, Bookshop.org, and other online bookstores. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time on Alabama Short Stories.